Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It's Maddie and Ethan with another episode of the Vine to Mind podcast. And on this episode of the show, Madison and I are going to a place that was once the self-proclaimed watermelon capital of our country. That is Lodi, California. We hope you enjoy. All right, Ethan. I don't know if you watched the games this weekend, but that Gonzaga game was pretty ridiculous. That was amazing. That was pretty amazing. That's going to go down in the books for forever, honestly. Um, and tonight we've got the big game. Tonight is Gonzaga versus Baylor. And obviously, once this comes out next week, all of you guys are going to know who won. But at this point in time, I'm trying to figure out what wine I'm going to enjoy while watching the game. You bring up a good point because you're always kind of thinking about, oh, what wine do you pair with food or with even music? You never really think about you know, what wine you're going to pair with sporting events and we're really in the thick of things when it comes to sports i mean we have baseball that just started maybe at some point my washington nationals will play a baseball game who knows like you said we have the national championship game the nba and the nhl are getting closer to their postseasons and we have the masters next week so there's a lot of pairing opportunities here so starting with the national championship game what would you pair with that game tonight so this one, I mean, you bring up a good point here. I don't really know. We have Gonzaga from Washington State, and we have Baylor from Texas. Yeah. So I've never really been to Fredericksburg. I know that's, you know, up-and-coming region down in Texas. However, I might stick up with Washington here. Do like a Red Mountain cab? Yeah, absolutely. They have some fun rosés up there, too. I don't know. Or Riesling, even. I know there's some good Tempranillo coming out of Texas, so... I don't know if we can find that in Napa, but probably maybe not gonna find it for tonight. If we find it, we'll try it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we have the Masters next week. Yes, and obviously the Masters goes without saying that that is a sporting event like none other. And I think with that, you have to go with you know you have to go with the best of the best champagne, perhaps a white Burgundy, mm. whether it's Marceau, Pouligny, Montrachet, and obviously that would also be really tasty with a pimento cheese sandwich too. And something sophisticated, yes, absolutely. Of so when it comes to, like, I would say baseball, I mean, mm. you think of baseball, America's pastime starts in the spring. It's beautiful outside. At least it is here. I'm thinking, like, you can go to a game today. You know, you could finally go this year, get a hot dog, sit outside, bring your glove to the game, but then have a glass of rosé. Yes. That sounds amazing right now. That or anything like white, crisp, and refreshing, you know, our love for Sauvignon Blanc, Maybe even like a you know dry Shannon Blanc, something like that, with a nice baseball game. Love it. Absolutely. The only thing about getting one at a baseball game is that it's upcharged, like out the wazoo. Oh no, you just <laughs> drink it at home and oh, watch that's a game. Fair. At home. That's fair. Get my hot dog, <laughs> my peanuts ready. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, and let's see. Okay, so we have NBA as well, and I think when I think of NBA. I mean, I think of obviously we're close to the Bay Area. You have Golden State here. I know Steph Curry likes to come up to Napa a lot. A lot of NBA players like LeBron like to come to Napa. What do they like? They like the big Napa cabs, right? Steph Curry's wife actually has a wine label. Yeah, she does. It's got a it's a really good Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, I know. It's kind of fun. There's a couple of different NBA players that are kind of dabbling in the winemaking, which is kind of fun. So I think you gotta go Napa Cab with the NBA. All right, and the finalize that. You're going to leave me with the tough one. That's going to be the NHL. NHL. I love hockey. So you think of ice when you think of hockey and you think of a pretty violent sport. You need to be pretty tough. You need a big, bold, tough wine. Um, something with probably a lot of alcohol, but also a lot of fruit. So I'm thinking probably, honestly, just do a Zinfandel with some hockey. 
I thought you might be going there. Why? <laughs> because of fitting. our topic today? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So although Ethan said that Lodi was the watermelon capital of the world, I'm going to be the one that's going to say that Lodi is the Zinfandel, the self-proclaimed Zinfandel capital of the world here. And they produce quite a bit of that. They say, I think today they produce 40% of California's Zinfandel. And they become probably one of the most notable EVAs within the Central Valley of California. So I think it's a fun up and coming region. It's a region on the rise, especially in the marketplace to this day. So let's talk about where Lodi is located. So Maddie and I are located in the Napa Valley. If you were to drive from the Napa Valley, it would take you about an hour and a half to go east to get to this beautiful region. Yeah, exactly. And so it's going to be like 45 minutes south of Sacramento or so. And it's right on the edge of the Sacramento Delta. Now, this right here is actually really important because this is a gap in the coastal range, which essentially allows for this cool air coming off the San Francisco Bay to just funnel right into where Lodi is located. And this really cools the region down, which is really important because Lodi is a little bit further inland. So it gets quite warm during the days. Um, it get, you know, that intense sunlight, temperatures are often quite high, but at nighttime, sometimes you can have almost like a 45 degree diurnal shift, which again, that's a great hallmark of a great wine growing region. That's wild. 45 degrees. Yeah. Honestly, Napa's not far behind either. That's true. So Lodi is a very large area. There is over half a million acres in Lodi, yeah. and about 100,000 of those acres are planted to vines. So there's a lot of vines planted there. What, there was like 2 million vines actually in 1899, which is like crazy because mm -hmm. there's probably a lot more to this day. Now, it is an AVA. It was established in 1986, but because it's such a large area, it has such a diverse range of different soil types, different terroirs. They did split it up. There are now seven sub-AVAs as of 2006. We have Ultimessa, Kamsume River, Mokalum River, which is probably the most historic one. It does surround the town of Lodi, Slow House, Clements Hill, Jahant, and we also have Borden Ranch as well. So obviously Lodi produces quite a bit of wine. I think to this day, it's nearly 20% of California's wine production, but it hasn't always been that way. It's actually a very fertile area. I mean, we were, you referenced the watermelons earlier. <laughs> I did. You can grow a lot of things besides grapes in Lodi. Yeah, it's always been uh, such an abundant area. I mean, it's a lot of flat land. The soil is incredibly fertile. Maddie, they literally had like the most watermelons planted in this country for the longest time. And most of those watermelon orchards, pastures, what are they? <laughs> vines? They're vineyards? Farms. Technically. Anyway, they were not irrigated. That's that, crazy. That's how fertile the land is. So, um, of course, like as Madison mentioned, you can grow almost anything here. So what happens when you grow everything here? You bring wildlife because the wildlife is going to eat all of the agriculture. And then when you have a plenty of wildlife and plenty of agriculture, when people were rushing to the West Coast in search of striking it rich with gold, they stumble upon this area that is so abundant and they settle. So at this point, if you, if you listen to any of our other podcasts or study wine history, it's always associated with the gold rush. What was happening in the mid-1800s was, of course, they found gold. So everybody from around the world wanted to rush to California in hopes of them striking it rich. So, of course, just like other regions, people settled in areas near the gold mining areas. Mm -hmm. And Lodi is not too far away from where, you know, Amador County is. So it makes sense in this amount of agriculture and wildlife. It also, you know, it just makes so much sense why people settled here. To talk about grapevines, there's always been wild vines planted along these riverbanks in Lodi. 
And the Native Americans actually used to make wine out of them, probably on accident, but they ended up drinking it. So they were making wine. But when it comes to like high quality grape growing for the purpose of winemaking, that actually started right around the 1850s with a gentleman named Charles Weber. Just like many, he noticed the abundance of resources in this area, and he established a little farm around the town that is now known as Stockton, California, and he planted a vineyard around his property. He didn't sell the wines he was making out of this vineyard. It was more for uh, personal use, uh, good for him. But commercial winemaking started soon after that with a guy named George West. Now, George West was a gold miner from Massachusetts, and he actually planted the first commercial vineyard and opened the first winery called El Pinal in Lodi. And this happened in about late 1850s. And you kind of have to think about what they were growing these grapes for back then, Maddie. You know, they weren't necessarily focusing on like, oh, am I going to do a longer maceration and put this in French oak barrels. Now, I think they were just growing it for the quantity purposes. One, because they can eat the grapes. Also, they can make an alcoholic beverage that was most likely safer than the water they had nearby. Yeah, that's what I like to call it. You just get loose off the juice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Madison. But, I mean, to go along with a lot of other crops, such as the watermelon, grapes were just another you know agricultural product at this point. There was plenty of corn and apple orchards and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't the most important crop until about 30 years later in the 1880s, where grapes actually became the most desired crop coming out of Lodi. But there were two grapes in particular that were planted at this time that one of them is still considered the most popular grape in Lodi, one of the most popular grapes in the country, and that is Zinfandel. The other one, a very unique grape variety, do not know how it ended up out here. I did a lot of research to figure this out, could not figure it out, but it's called Toke, or also called flame toke, which is an Algerian grape. Yes, a northern African grape variety, somehow making its way out to Central Valley, California. But that grape, along with Zinfandel, they were both cherished because of how easy they were to grow, how durable they were as a growing vine. I mean, you didn't have to care for them too much. They really were resistant to most things. Their durability to travel, because, you know, a lot of people are shipping these things on trains after making them. And their ability to be easily fermented and distilled. Would love to try some toke. I've never seen it. I remember we pulled up a picture of it and the skin was almost like this fluorescent scarlet color, honestly. It was pretty interesting. I've never seen a grape with that color, ever. Very interesting. And at this point in time, now Lodi is really seen as a wine growing region. And we start seeing these co-ops, these cooperatives that are starting to pop up around the region. This is something that you still see pretty frequently in Europe. And essentially, it's when you have a number of people that kind of go in on the whole process together. Like, you know, maybe multiple people might own one vineyard or they might pool their resources together in the winery as well in order to create more of a profit for these smaller producers. Is that what we did for our garage wine? I think something like that. That minus the profit part. Yeah, we didn't really have much of that. Or many resources either, honestly. Yeah, good times, good memories, though, that's for sure. Now, one thing that I think it's very interesting with Lodi is that they were not terribly affected by prohibition. Of course, they had a shift. You know, they weren't making quite as much wine, but they were still growing a lot of grapes. A lot of these grapes were just for table use, right? Just table grapes for people to consume and enjoy. But also, they were selling grapes for individuals to make wine at home, right? We all know that there were those shipper varieties that they would send across the country so people could still make their 200 gallons of wine. And following Prohibition, most of Lodi was producing dessert styles. So sweeter styles of wine, there were fortified wines, and this really didn't change much until the 60s when consumers wanted a drier style and just wanted to focus more on higher quality. And at this point in time, 
Toke and Alicante and whatnot, those started being dug up and more and more Zinfandel was being planted. And that was in large part thanks to Bob Trincaro. You know, in 1975, when he accidentally created white Zinfandel, that actually helped save the identity of Zinfandel. That was a kind of a dying variety around California. And because of that, more and more Zinfandel was being planted. And a lot of white Zinfandel was produced from grapes from this area. So not only does Zinfandel have ties to American history in terms of it like being grown for gold miners, but also at this point where white Zin was like the new thing in the United States. And when Sutter Home created it, everybody wanted to copy it. So people needed more and more Zinfandel. So part of that history as well. It's the true American grape, even though it's not originally from the United States. Now, going back to the 60s real quick, winemakers in Lodi weren't even able to put Lodi on their label until the mid-60s. And well after that, people didn't want to put Lodi on there. No one recognized it, so they would put California. It wasn't until really the 90s where there was this quality revolution, and people were like, I'm putting Lodi on my label. It's a high-quality wine-growing region, and I want people to know that, that this wine is coming from this region, and they're going to enjoy it. And you know, Ethan, that's why I think that Lodi is one of California's best kept secrets for quality wine. I, I mean, yeah, like, like we said earlier, 20% of California wine production is in Lodi. And a lot of that does go to some large producers such as Sutter Home, you have Woodbridge, but you also have a lot of smaller producers as well that are focusing on even like single vineyards and using some of these sub-ABA appellations on their labels as well. Absolutely. And I mean, what else is Lodi known for? old vine zinfandel Mm -hmm. like truly old vine they have some of the oldest vineyards in all of california some of them date back to the mid 1800s a lot in like the 1880s and you know older the vine gets the less grapes it produces but the more concentrated the more flavorful grapes that you're going to get and it's definitely reflected in these zinfandels that are being created a lot of this does surround the town of lodi as I mentioned earlier, especially in the Mokalum River AVA, that's probably one of the more or maybe the most notable sub-AVA of Lodi. Absolutely. And so as we're talking about vineyard growing and whatnot, one thing that I think is very remarkable is that Lodi created the Lodi Rules, which is essentially an organization uh, for sustainable wine growing. And it awards uh, various vineyards based on their sustainable farming practices. And today there's over 20,000 acres and 25 wineries that are certified by Lodi Rules. So Lodi has really put a large emphasis on sustainability and really bettering the environment and the community all at once. Yeah, Maddie, this program was actually launched in 2005, and it's California's first third-party certified sustainable wine growing certification. So it's pretty intense. It's great to hear that almost half of the wineries and 20% of the vineyard land in all of Lodi is certified through Lodi Rolls. That is fantastic that they really have this emphasis on building a stronger future for the community, but also for the environment. So let's talk about the wines of Lodi. We have mentioned Zinfandel numerous times, and we're going to mention it again. The character of Lodi Zinfandel is so different than any other Zinfandel, because you typically find Zinfandel coming from Paso Robles. You'll find it in Sonoma, Amador County as well. Mm -hmm. But the character of Lodi is so unique, in my opinion, because the land is so fertile. It's so easy to grow Zinfandel, and Zinfandel is a pretty rigorous grape as well. Gets plenty of sunlight, long, dry, sunny growing days. But it's that breeze and that diurnal shift that really makes it what it is. So you get this really beautiful ripe blueberry and blackberry 
with a touch of that black pepper character. However, because of that big diurnal shift, you don't get this a crazy, you know, mouth sharpened acidity, but you get this like nice juicy character in these wines. Mm-hmm. I love them. I think I do need to appreciate them more and drink them more often. However, there are so many other great varieties that are planted out there now from Merlot to Cab. There's Sauvignon Blanc. There's even still some Alicante Boucher. There's some Syrah out there. Sure. What, how many varietals are there now? There's many? over a hundred different grape varieties planted out there. And I just want to say something else before we leave the idea of Zinfandel too. Zinfandel, as you know, I don't drink a ton of it to this day, but that is a special place in my heart. I would say this is one of the wines that got me into wine because it is so friendly. It's so inviting with that juicy, ripe fruit character. And as you know, you know, a young 21 year old that was one of the first wines that really lured me in and then just broadened my my palate honestly from there on out and also it's a really good barbecue wine too so and they're typically a little bit higher in alcohol so as like a you know college student turning 21 that was kind of fun too i don't blame you and you know as you as you can tell with the wine that you brought today for us to drink maddie your palate has definitely become a little <laughs> bit more sophisticated. We've so, come a long way. Nothing against the Lodi Zinfandels. Nothing at all. So uh, tell me about the wine you brought today because it's, it's a very unique wine. It's a variety that you know has a special place in both of our hearts but and, and a wine we drink a lot of, but not this area. Sure. So yeah, so moving into the nightcap now, folks. And what I brought to share with Ethan today was a Coteau Champenois Pinot Noir. And so as you can probably guess by what I just said, this is from the Champagne region of France. However, it's not a sparkling wine. This is from Coteau Champenois, which is the only appellation covering all of Champagne for still wines. So this wine right here is 100% Pinot Noir. It's a 2009 vintage. So it's got a little bit of age on it. And honestly, it's unlike any Pinot Noir I've ever had before. Uh, it definitely tastes old world. You definitely get a little bit of that Bretanomyces on there. Not a whole lot of new oak. So again, you kind of already have this like lighter refined style, um, but you get all these red fruits, uh, you get dried cranberries, raspberries, strawberries. Uh, it's definitely red fruit driven, but I think that age also has that dried character as well. It's hella funky. <laughs> it's fun though. It's and a I, fun wine. I've never seen this before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very familiar with the AOC, but it's really cool that you actually were able to find one and bring one in. Um, it says a bougie rouge on the... Uh, it's pretty bougie. Um, I think it's fantastic. I'm very familiar with the producer in terms of their, their bubbles, but I actually did not know they made a Coteau Champenois. It has a lot more structure to me than some other Pinot Noirs from France. I've had some like Sancerre Rouges where mm-hmm. they're like really light, lean, juicy, easy to drink. This one's got some body. This one's got some a little bit of tannin on it, and uh, the acidity is still so apparent for a wine that is, what, 12 years old. Which makes sense. It's a cool region up in Champagne, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly why I was a little bit alarmed at the the structure as well. I would have thought it would have been a little bit lighter, but that acidity still leads the way, I think, as well. Well, that's a fun wine. Uh, Maddie, thank you so much for bringing it. That's another one of our nightcaps, folks. We hope you enjoyed today's episode on Lodi. And there's so many great regions just like Lodi that Maddie and I believe are on the rise of the next up-and-coming wine-growing regions that are going to be found on the market. See y'all in two weeks. See ya.